So it's a pleasure for me to be here today. It's always a pleasure to be here, but especially so on this day. Um, Having grown up Christian uh, and having been very involved in the church and Christmas and all the celebration, um, it's, it's very nice for me to be able to combine my Buddhist practice with the holiday celebration. So this morning I'm sitting here with all of you and this evening I'll be sitting in a Christian church <laughs> with my family uh, enjoying the music and some of the ritual of this season. And that makes me think how much I appreciate Buddhist practice for its openness and acceptance so that we can feel free and there's no conflict, there's no problem with maintaining um, a very very deep meditation practice as well as whatever our roots are or as well as any other practice. Buddhism doesn't ask us to give up anything or to denounce anything in order to have our serious practice. And as we were sitting, I was thinking about this and remembering that I've not yet seen, I hope I will someday, but I've been told there's a statue in North Vietnam of Jesus and Buddha with their arms around each other. And I've not even seen a picture, but I think that would be a lovely thing to visit someday. So I wanted to share with you this morning some reflections on the sacredness of this season, of this time of year. And I want to start with a card that I received from a very dear friend. Some of you know her, Marsha Conklin. And it says, Come, light us with your happiness, season of joy. Come, fill us with your compassion, season of love. Come, wrap us in your tranquility, season of peace. And as you can see, the card could perhaps look um, more Asian and yet with, with a very nice Christmas message. So I want to start by sharing with you a little about my journey and how I came to see this as a sacred time of year. As I said, I grew up Christian. I was very involved in the Christian church. Um, and as a child and a young person raising my daughter, I was very, very caught up in the whole Christmas thing. And um, as so many people, you know, (laughs) um, worked myself tired (laughs) with food and decorations and preparations and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was fun, you know. It was also exhausting. And after I began this practice, a lot of the desire for that just totally fell away. 
and I began to simplify my life and all this hullabaloo no longer made any sense. And in fact, I was very turned off by it. So for many years, I had the feeling that um, right after Thanksgiving or even before, I want to go to sleep and not wake up until the 2nd of January. I just wanted to avoid this whole thing. It was really obnoxious to me. And, and there would be a visceral reaction, you know, as Thanksgiving approached and I knew, oh, here we go. And it's, it's like a conveyor belt, you know, you can't get off. It just carries you. And that went on for a few years. And then there came to be more of an acceptance. I wasn't fighting it. I wasn't resisting it so much. There was just an acceptance. Okay, okay, it's November, you know, soon it's December. This is what's going to happen. And okay, you know, I'll just go through it. It wasn't exactly resignation. It, it was more of a true acceptance. Okay, and I, I still enjoyed the season pretty much, but I was kind of peripheral. I wasn't really involved in all of it. I went through a lot of emotions, but emotionally I wasn't really um, there. It was just, it was happening all around me, and so, okay. Then this year, early in December, I think, I just had this sort of realization that this is a sacred time of year. This is a beautiful time of year, a time, a season of giving and truly giving. And that, that really changed the whole season for me. So this year I feel like it's more than acceptance. I am really in the midst celebrating the season, the, um, the greatest, the, the best parts of Christmas. And so a lot of that is giving. So again, very early on it came to me, oh, I can just give. Well, how that came to me was I felt like I was being hounded by the Red Cross <laughs> to come in and donate. And I, you know, I made an appointment, I had to cancel it, and they called again, and I said, I can't do it, don't call me, and they called again. <laughs> and finally, I, I was thinking, you know, I don't have time to do this, leave me alone. And I heard myself, and that woke me up. And I said, wait a minute, giving blood is giving. <laughs> and it's been long enough since the last time I can do it. So the next call I got, I made an appointment and went down with a whole different attitude. Now, unfortunately, my hemoglobin was too low and I couldn't give after all. But, um, but when I recognized that, you know, that's giving. And this is the season of giving. What do I mean I don't have time? Of course I have time. So then I just made the whole season a season of giving. And I have found so many ways to give, as probably you have too. This time of year, there's just endless opportunities, right? It's, it's everywhere. A couple of other major ways for me, one is 
my mother, my 87-year-old mother, who is needing more and more of my help, is more and more forgetful and confused, and very labile. So she can be very pleasant one day and just horrible the next, and then, you know, totally forgets she's been that way and very nice. And it's been a roller coaster for me. It's been <laughs> very challenging and also an incredible practice because I have learned not to be so reactive. I, I should say, I am learning not to be so reactive. I'm much better than I was, and it still can get to me. But, you know, I just continue doing and when she gets really nasty um, I might not call for a day <laughs> and I, I remind myself and I can really see that she is an image of conditioning now granted I don't like being the target of her conditioning but I can see so clearly there's so little awareness so little awakeness it's just conditioning and because I'm the primary caretaker I'm here and sometimes I think, honestly, because I'm doing so much, I become the target. But when I can remember it's all conditioning, um, it helps. doesn't make it okay, but it helps. It's much better. And then, actually, again, it just came to me as we were sitting here, uh, something I did that I didn't think of as giving, but actually it is, I gave my daughter, in a way, a gift of freedom. Uh, I always, at this time of year, try to get her and my grandson to do all these things. You know, I, I enjoy doing a lot of things. And I want them to come up and, you know, see the lights and go to the Nutcracker. And this year, the musical theater was doing a big production, and I wanted so much to take everybody to that. And maybe go to San Francisco and, you know, on and on. And I feel this resistance from my daughter. You know, she doesn't want to do all this. And in years past, I've just sort of ignored it and, you know, come on, come on, and I get tickets or whatever. This year I found myself early on saying, you know, I'm not going to try to talk you into anything. If you'd like to come up and do this or do that, I'd love to do that. But if you don't, so guess what? I haven't seen my daughter and grandson since Thanksgiving. It's the longest time I've gone without seeing my grandson since he was born almost seven years ago. Not a lot of fun. I mean, I'm missing, it's, you know, four, it'll be four and a half weeks, I think. That's a very long time. But on the other hand, I do feel good about having let go, really, of that need to do this, that, or the other, to let them be and let her choose if she wants to do something or if she does not. So this is the season of giving. And as the card says, of love, of compassion, of tranquility, of peace. It's also the solstice. It's also the turning of the season. And this particular solstice is about the light and the dark. 
And for many years, I attended and then gave um, a light and dark party at the solstice. And this I found a wonderful alternative to all the frenzy. A way of honoring what is, honoring the season. And so we would gather um, late afternoon around five o'clock and watch the darkness arrive and contemplate the dark and then do some sharing. And then we would light a candle and then contemplate the light and then do some sharing and then share a potluck meal together. And it just seemed like such a beautiful way of acknowledging this season, this time of year, and not being so caught up in in all the other stuff that was going on. So it, it became then too sort of more a time of reflection or a time of introspection, a quiet time, a time of stillness, a time of going inward rather than being so externally oriented. A couple of readings from those parties. In the light and darkness celebration, we gather to enter into the darkness, to acknowledge the groping and unknowing which lies at the heart of our human condition, to enter the mystery of silence. Even in the darkest of times, we have the right to expect some illumination, and such illumination may well come less from theories and concepts than from the uncertain flickering and often weak light that some men and women in their lives and in their works will kindle over the time span given them on earth. So as acknowledging the light and the dark, from uh, Jack and Christina Feldman's book, Stories of the Spirit, Stories of the Heart, they have a chapter called Finding Light in the Darkness. And There's a few pieces that I'd like to read that I think are quite poignant. There is an art to learning how to live with life's challenges and hardships, to discover light amid the darkness, and to heal ourselves and the world around us. Like any other art, the art of living in peace calls for both both great love and discipline. We must be willing not to turn away from, not to shun the shadows in our lives, but to turn toward them. This is the first and most significant step, for in turning, we begin to cast away our fears, despair, and self-doubt. It is not darkness that is our opponent, but our rejection and denial of it. It is in our greatest difficulties that we can find the sense of what is everlasting light in the world, unquenchable light. As St. John of the Cross said, 
If a person wishes to be sure of the road they tread upon, they must close their eyes and walk in the dark. There we find true compassion and greatness of the Spirit. That sentence really touches me. I think because I've found it true in my life. If a person wishes to be sure of the road they tread upon, they must close their eyes and walk in the dark. Seems paradoxical to walk in the dark to be sure. To listen closely to the mystery that is right in front of us rather than the ideas we have about things. In calmness, we begin to understand that peace is not really the opposite of challenge and hardship. We understand that the presence of light is not a result of darkness ending. Light is not a result of darkness ending. Peace is found not in the absence of challenge, but in our own capacity to be with hardship, without judgment, prejudice, and resistance. We discover that we have the energy and the faith to begin to heal ourselves and the world through an open-heartedness in this and each moment. And then, our true nature, our basic goodness shine when we stop looking elsewhere and discover that what we seek has been here all along. So for me, there are three very pithy ideas suggestions in that, that to be sure we walk the road in darkness, in unknowing, and that the mystery is right in front of us all the time. This moment, right here, right now, our ordinary lives, our everyday lives. And that our true nature, our basic goodness, is here. That which we have sought for so long out there is right here. And I think those three are really, for me, at the heart of this practice. So then just a little Nasruddin story. Mullah Nasruddin decided to start a flower garden. He prepared the soil and planted the seeds of many beautiful flowers. But when they came up, his garden was filled not just with his chosen flowers, but also overrun by dandelions. He sought out advice from gardeners all over and tried every method known to get rid of them, but to no avail. Finally, he walked all the way to the capital to speak to the royal gardener at the sheik's palace. The wise old man had counseled many gardeners before and suggested a variety of remedies to expel the dandelions. 
but Mola had tried them all. They sat together in silence for some time, and finally the gardener looked at Nasrudin and said, Well then, I suggest you learn to love them. And it reminds me, or it makes me think of what I've heard Gil say so many times about our thoughts. If they're persistent, when all else fails, make friends with them. <laughs> so we can learn to love the challenges, the, the darkness in our life. And I very much like the idea of the light in the darkness. It makes me think of the symbol of the yin and the yang, where the two fit together. They're not necessarily opposites, but they fit together. And there's dark within the light, and light within the dark. So darkness is the great mystery. Darkness is that from which all life springs and to which all life returns. So, I'm thinking this time of year, while it's a celebration of one birth, can be a celebration of life in general. We can see it as a time of celebrating all life, of celebrating uh, the garden, the flower garden of celebrating the dark as well as the light. And we can see the dark as being rich, fertile soil, comforting and warm even, rather than something to resist or something to turn away from. So another short reading. This is from a poem by May Sarton. The poem is called Kali, and this is just one piece. Help us to be the always hopeful gardeners of the spirit, who know that without darkness, nothing comes to birth, as without light, nothing flowers. And the commentary. The winter landscape can appear cold and bleak, Yet beneath it lies the seed that with sunlight will become a rose. In darkness is fertile power, the mystery, the great unknown. In light is the clarity and vision that come from having the courage to embrace the dark. In light is the clarity and vision that come from having the courage to embrace the dark. So, it seems at this time of year, most, if not all, faith traditions have some kind of celebration of light. There's an acknowledgement of the solstice, the dark, the shortest day, the longest night. And then the coming or the gradual return of the light. So, I know Christians don't like to acknowledge that anything they do comes from pagan practices, but in point of fact, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) 
So we have all this light around us this time of year, right? Light inside the home, light outside the home, on buildings, etc., etc. Candles and much illumination. In the Jewish tradition, there's the menorah and um, the lighting of the candles each night during Hanukkah, which very closely coincides with Christmas. In the Hindu tradition, there's Diwali, the festival of the lights. And in the African-American tradition, there's Kwanzaa. And being Scandinavian, in the Scandinavian countries, there's the Santa Lucia festival. And Santa Lucia wears a crown with five uh, burning candles. So it seems that that light is an important part of the celebration of this time of year. So the question comes up, how do we find the light in the darkness? Or how do we find peace, joy, tranquility in the midst of the chaos and confusion and drama that's going on around us at this time of year. I had um, a great opportunity yesterday. Unfortunately, I had to go to uh, three, I think it was, grocery stores. Not good timing. And first of all, there was traffic, of course, on all the roads. And then each store was jam-packed. And I found myself just automatically, um, without even thinking about it, doing a few things. One was just breathing. You know, it came back when you're stuck in a traffic jam, breathe. So I had lots of opportunities to breathe. And then when you're stuck in a line at the grocery store, breathe. So I did. And I made an extra effort to be friendly to those around me, to smile, sort of chuckle with people as we're all bunched up and all trying to get through the same aisle together, make jokes and be friendly with the, the checkers, um, smile at the person that cuts me off and takes my parking place or whatever. And I found in doing so that it was a very pleasant experience. There was no problem. Yes, it was crowded. Yes, it was busy, and it was fine. And that was very nice. That was a very wonderful experience, not to allow myself to get all caught up, which is so easy to do, right? We all do it in the frenzy or believing, you know, that I had to get this done in a certain amount of time or I had so much to do at home, etc., etc. But just to enjoy it. And, and hopefully add a little calm, a little peace to what might otherwise be um, a difficult situation. So we can all look for these ways. We can all look for opportunities to, to be a little beacon <laughs> in this chaotic world, to, to bring a little peace a little tranquility, a little calmness. That's one of the things that, that our practice can um, 
can give us to give the world. We can be that calmness in the midst of confusion. And we've heard stories over and over how just one person being calm in a a chaotic situation can totally change the situation. This is a poem that Marcia wrote. Gifts. There's a softness in the truth of Christmas, a simplicity of heart, a sweet mystery seen by the soul's candlelight, enfolded in the gentle darkness of the long days, a celebration of the return of a forgotten peacefulness, a gentle truth remembered by the heart. These gifts of softness and peacefulness and love we give each other. And those of you that know Marcia know how that sounds just like her. So then also in our Buddhist tradition, this is the time of celebrating the Buddha's enlightenment. In this tradition, the Theravadan tradition, we celebrate the Buddha's birth, enlightenment, and death on the full moon in May. But in the Zen tradition, they celebrate what's called Rahatsu, um, that celebrates or acknowledges the Buddha's enlightenment, and that's considered the 8th of December. So that's part of this time of year as well. And so we can use this time also is a time to reflect on the Buddha's enlightenment. And what did that mean for him? What does that mean for us? Do we aspire to enlightenment, to the complete ending of suffering, to being awake, totally awake and aware? For that's what Buddha means, right? The awakened one. What does that mean in our lives? And how can we bring that wakefulness, that awareness, to our own lives and to the world around us? How can we find freedom And how can we share that freedom with others? How do we recognize our own suffering as well as the suffering of the world and bring our compassion to that suffering? I think ultimately there's maybe not so much difference between what the Buddha taught and what Christ taught, or maybe what Muhammad taught, or any of the great teachers. At the very, very core, perhaps, all traditions are about, as the Dalai Lama said, I practice kindness. 
And isn't that maybe what all traditions suggest, that we practice kindness, compassion, love, peace, joy. And so we can look for opportunities amidst the craziness, amidst the consumerism and the confusion, and there's much confusion out there, right? We can find opportunities to be the light, to be the peace, to be the calm, to to be the quiet, the stillness within the confusion, and find as many opportunities as possible to give. Just give, you know, in whatever way. Give of ourselves, give of our time, give of our attention, give listening, give whatever. Money too, if we have that, or things, food, or shelter, or clothes, or whatever. But just give. We can literally lose ourselves in giving. And I mean that in the best sense, not in the codependent way, but but in the best sense, you know, we're, we, I think, again, all the traditions teach that we must lose our lives in order to gain them, to gain eternal life, to gain freedom, the Buddha might say. So we have a few minutes, and I would like to hear from some of you. Maybe uh, your thoughts about this season or inspiration that you have? Well, you see your daughter and your grandson. Tomorrow. <laughs> so that was pre-planned that you would oh, see them oh, on yeah. Christmas. Oh, yeah. So there was kind of an end date. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a big thing. Just curious. Realize. I realize that in our life, um, I also come from the Christ, uh, Christmas tradition, and um, the good fortune of my nephew marrying a Jewish woman. And about six years ago, she decided to start celebrating Hanukkah, and uh, with the whole family, kind of something to get their child, I think, more knowing about that side of, of their life. And um, so, I actually look forward to that party much more than. Christmas side of things, and I realize that the basic gist is it's more the the history and the things that you may try to recapture or cling to that were there before, like parents and grandparents and people you loved and just that whole um, innocence, etc. And um, so just looking fresh, I think, is very vital at this time for all of us.
it occurs to me to say a little more about um, what I hear Cheryl saying about looking at things fresh at this time of year. And I notice that lately I'm um, making an effort to have an intention to see things and people without obscuration. And um, I guess um, I'm hoping that kind of I'll have that mind that we have when we're on retreat where we see things quite differently than we see them in everyday life. And um, so, thank you. Yes, thank you both for that. I think that's really an important part of this point. Seeing things to the best of our ability, clearly, and without the condition. 